This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. For the 2023-2024 season, the West Amway podcast is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sports venues are showing every televised West Ham fixture over the course of the season. So instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and go down to your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. Green King Sport have just recently launched the Green King Sport Instagram page, which will be the home to fan content, deals and competitions throughout the season. Drop them a follow and you won't just be the first to know about all this, you'll be helping out the West Ham way. You're listening to the West Ham Way podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi! Hello and welcome to the West Ham Way podcast with myself, Dave Walker, an XWH employee. Due to the international break, there is no game to reflect on this week. Instead, we talk about some thought-provoking subjects before sharing some exciting news about the pre-match events, get the latest from X, and answer questions from patrons of the West Ham Way. Good afternoon, everyone. Due to the international break, we've got a bit of a free license in this first section. So I thought I'd bring a few thought-provoking subjects to the table for X. And as always, it'd be good to get the thoughts of our listeners as well. Um, We've got a very strong midfield now, X. And uh, we've said that the squad selection is a nice problem to have. But playing devil's advocate, is it? Have we now potentially got too many midfielders? If we look centrally, for example, we've got Paqueta, Walprouse, Suchek, Alvarez, Kudus, Fornells. All of them are top players and top players want to play every week, but they can't. So are we potentially running the risk of having certain players unhappy with either not playing or being rotated? Um, it's a fair question. I mean, I, I um, have always felt that David Moyes likes to work with a small squad and he's made it clear himself that he does. So this would be sort of uncharted territory for, for him as well, where he will have to 
um, you know, rotate those players. For me, it's a good problem to have because, you know, we, West Ham always get injuries. So that's one factor that's good to have um, options. And second of all, when a player's not playing well in the past, we've had to just persist with them because we have no one else. Whereas now we know our players have to be on the top of their game because if they're not, then there's someone else coming in for them. I think if we get any more midfielders, it could become a problem. But I think one or two, maybe three, um, spares on the bench is what most top clubs would have so the key now is is that Moyes has to make sure he rotates them effectively and makes them still feel equally valued as they may have done before when there was less competition yeah no I think that's a fair point mate I think it is a nice problem to have definitely uh, just playing devil's advocate really but having said that players want to play you know I, I can't imagine for one second that despite earning an absolute fortune at West Ham Danny Ings is necessarily happy Fabianski we know he isn't happy with being dropped because he said it publicly Skamaka I don't think was when he was fit and didn't get picked so it is a thing you know players want to play and when they don't um, it, it can cause issues, but I suppose it, it does all come down to their professionalism. I think they'd be happy with the money that they're on. Um, I don't think they'll be tempted at this stage, early stage, to look elsewhere in January. So I think it is a nice problem to have, but just something in the back of my mind, do you know what I mean, that made me think, is this potentially too many players in the centre of that midfield? Um, but we'll just have to see how he works it on rotation. And like we've said, we potentially have got a lot of games coming up. I mean, if you were Moisey and you wanted to know your best 11, X, who does he drop? If, assuming we play three central midfielders, we've got Paqueta, Walprow, Suchek, Alvarez, Kudus, um, assuming Kudus will be played centrally. And then we've got four nails. I mean, whether we've seen the end of him, I don't know. But who do you drop out of those players? Well, I think for me, you have to have Alvarez as the defensive, like the sitting midfielder. And then you have a... I would play... I know he's not a winger, but... And he has played right wing before, but I would have Kudus on the left wing coming in on his right foot. Um, So I would have... Alvarez, the defensive one, I'd have Paqueta and Ward-Prowse in the central um, positions. I'd have Bowen on the right, and then I'd have um, uh, Kudos on the left, which means you're dropping Suchek, which means you're dropping Ben Rama, you're not playing Fornells, and that would be the midfield. And I know people will say, well, Kudos isn't a left winger, but he's left-footed. So what I would do is what a lot of top teams do, is say to him and Bowen, you originally start Bowen on the right him on the left but as the game progress, progresses we might swap you around might put Kudos on the right Bowen on the left and mix it up a bit so that the full backs don't um can't sort of adapt their game to deal with them because they keep swapping with which one they've got to deal with that's what I would do yeah surprise surprise you have dropped <laughs> me oh shock horror everybody <laughs> Do you know what? I actually do feel a bit sorry for for you or, or Thomas, whichever that was, because I, he has he, had, he, he has actually started the season really well. Yeah. Um, I actually think he's played really well. So at this point last season, it would have been a no brainer. At this point of the season, it does feel it does feel harsh. But I think having Suchek on the bench 
you know, if you're looking for a goal, you know, you want to change things up, 60th minute, 65th minute, sticking him on, it gives you a whole new option. And with Ward-Prowse and his ability to put set pieces on a plate, well, this mm. is going to massively benefit Suchek in the long run. And, you know, we, we don't know what's going to happen with Pakitar with this betting thing. Personally, I'm not sure anything will happen, but at this point, we don't know. So that could open it back up for Suchek. But I still think, actually, Suchek has got a much more of a role to play this season like now than I would have thought he would have had thinking about this season ahead last season so yeah I do feel guilty for dropping you but I do think that you have a big role still to play yeah well it adds to the conundrum doesn't it because I would agree with what you said I think by dropping Suchek but Moisey loves him He's always loved him. It's almost like, even with these signings, he's the first name on the team sheet. Unless he's no longer the first name on the team sheet, because for the first time in a long time, Moisey has this amount of options. I mean, what do you think it is? Do you think the teacher's pet is going to keep his place and it'll be rotation elsewhere? Or do you think now with these options available, we will be seeing less of him? Because don't forget, throwing into the mix, Suchek has got to be the best we've got in the squad when it comes to getting on the end of those Prousey deliveries. Yeah, it's very true. It's just a diff- it is a difficult situation to to know what is best to do. Um, I I think personally, you c- if you just look at those central three, how can you put Suchek ahead of Alvarez, who started brilliantly and he just paid all that money for to be a Declan Rice replacement? Ward Prowse, whose contract I keep getting this wrong, because I keep saying he played in the Bournemouth game, he didn't. He's created four ch- goals and assists. From three games, Chelsea, Brighton, and um, Luton. How can you drop him? You can't drop him. And then how can you drop um, Paqueta, Brazilian international, who Man City were prepared to pay almost a hundred million for? You know, you, so you, you can't drop him. And it's not. It's not that Suchek doesn't offer anything. He does, but the other three offer more, in my opinion. And there, and and then then Suchek doesn't, and Suchek will be a much better impact sub, I think, coming on, you know, against a, a tiring centre-back, lumping balls in against him, and he's fresh, he can get on the end of them, I think he'll be a, a real um, a real good a good impact sub. But the other thing you lose, of course, by not playing Suchek, is that he's actually very good defensively yeah. from set pieces and yes. heading as well. So mm. you do lose that, and it is a tough decision, particularly as I think... You know, I think Zuma is going to be made captain now, but Suchet was in the running to be captain at one point. So in order to not um, to not be, um, you know, he, he obviously was highly thought of for this season. That actually makes me think is a factor, though, in why Zuma was given the captain's armband, because by all accords, it was going to be Suchet. And Suchet actually captained a couple of the preseason games Mm. Ahead, ahead of Zuma um, so it makes me think that maybe it is a, if you look into it like you sort of try and put a few things together maybe that is what Moyes thinks maybe Moyes thinks Suchek won't actually be playing as much this season whereas Zuma will therefore it's better to have Zuma as the captain than, than Suchek 
Mm, mm. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one, and time will tell. On Tony Cotty's first podcast of us last week, he said that he was disappointed that we didn't sign a keeper. Is that a bit harsh on the keepers we have, or can you understand where he's coming from? No, I was a bit surprised at that comment, to be honest mm. with you, um, because I I think I'm ha- I'm happy with the two goalkeepers we've got. You know, I think Ariola, yes, has made the odd Rick here and there, but on the whole, he's played really well. I thought he played really well against Brighton. You know, he he made a number of world-class saves in that game, and I think the more he plays, it's like any player, the more you play, the better you get. And he's had a, you know, two, three years where he's just been a, a backup keeper coming in for, um, you know, the European games and stuff, the cup games, um, whereas now, if he can get a, a continuous run in, in the team, I think he'll only get better. He's a, a good age for a keeper, you know, he's 29-30. He's a French international. He's played for Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, won Hammer of, well, not Hammer of the Year, whatever they call it, for Fulham, Player of the Year at Fulham. And, um, you know, he's got a great credentials. And I think as a backup keeper to go, you don't get much better than Fabianski, who's a, you know, Premier League veteran, another international, very experienced. I don't think at this point we need a keeper. Maybe next season, what you might start to do is, it depends how highly you rate, Hariji, Anang and Trot but what you might want to do next season is bring in a youngish keeper so like 26, 27 who eventually you're going to develop to take over from Ariola. but for now this season I don't think there's a need to sign a keeper no no, I don't. I was quite surprised when he said that, actually, because I think we've got two really good keepers at this club. Obviously, Fabianski ain't getting any younger. But with Ariola, I agree with the decision. It's now time for him to step in. He had to, really. He, he can't spend the rest of his career playing number two when you look at his pedigree. So I think he would have been pushing for it. I think he would have been primed for it. And yes, you can argue he's got the odd ricket in him. I don't think he's the best at crosses, if I'm honest, and corners. That's one of my biggest concerns of him. But what goalkeeper hasn't? You know, some of the best keepers in the world have had rickets in them. So I think he just needs a little bit more time. I, I think there's a lot more to him positively than negatively, Ariola. And and should he be injured or suspended, I'm I'm still comfortable that Fabianski can come in and do a good job. So, yeah, it's a bit of an eyebrow raiser for that, me, uh, with Tony. But when you look at how much money there is in the Far East and the impact they're having on football these days, X, how would you feel if we were taken over by, say, a Saudi consortium, for example? Because financially, it would propel us to the next level and see us compete with major trophies like we're seeing already with Newcastle, and they're only going to go from strength to strength. But would your political stance stop you from wanting that to happen? That's a very tricky one, that. Really tricky because... And we don't want to get too political, obviously. Uh, no, exactly. Uh, and we, we, we do it all around the houses here. Talk about, you know, random topics of discussion coming out of nowhere. But I, I, <laughs> I still think it's an interesting one. Yeah, and it's, it's a scenario that could possibly happen. I mean, there has been rumours of a Qatari um, takeover at West Ham, you know, the ones that were trying to take over Manchester United and didn't haven't been able to. There's rumours that they, they're they interested. I heard that an American consortium is the more likelier option, but at the moment, I don't think any of them are close because no bids have been submitted to the club. Nothing's gone as far as even being put to, put to David Sullivan. So for us to think that the take over is imminent and again a couple of channels have tried to push that mainly for I don't know hits to their site whatever the actual truth of it I don't think there is much truth in it at this point but you never know it's a scenario that could happen um, obviously my main thing with West Ham is that I want West Ham to win and I want West Ham to, to to be the best club there is and I want West Ham to regularly win trophies that's why you support your football team however being taken over by 
a group like that does does trigger your your you know your morals a bit and it does make you think is it the right thing for us is it um what i want to happen would that actually lose what west ham is because west ham isn't winning trophies every single season and whilst that would be nice it wouldn't be west ham would it um, and having billions and billions and billions wouldn't be west ham either <laughs> A very mixed opinions. Ideally, you would get a, a billionaire investor because I think you're going to have to because every club is going to have one soon. So if you yeah. don't have one, then you're just going to be too far behind. So I think it's always going to be essential that you do have one. Ideally, you'd want them to be someone that's got the club's best interests at heart, have their 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 morals intact, have their you know their ethics correct from where they come from. But then you could question any any society really. I think when you look at ethics and morals, I mean you could the old the the natural thing is to think well, I'd like an American billionaire, but yeah, America might be better in guitar than guitar in some you know some aspects are they better in others you know and you look at you look at all people with lots and lots of money and i think you can question the ethics as well of course guitar and that's the countries in that region there's some very very questionable um questionable uh human rights laws and and relations in how they treat their people and how they believe how they deal with um, life choices that are different to what what they say should happen in those countries, and he, and yes, it is it is it is wrong. So ideally, ideally, oh, we wouldn't have them, but you know, we might not have much choice sometimes. Yeah, I know. I mean, I think you accidentally made a point there as well in terms of the way modern football is. The majority of, if not all, of the Premier League at some point will be billionaires. So no. if that is the case, where would the advantage come for West Ham? There'd be no mm-hmm. guarantee that we'd be any more successful than we are now if everyone's no. on an equal playing field. So there's that. I think you make a brilliant point about identity. Um, you know, we've lost enough of that, really, haven't we? By leaving Upton Park and changing the badge. You could argue that we just won a major trophy. So it's not as if, you know, we're never going to win anything ever because we just have. Yeah. Um, and we're there thereabouts with the big boys. And um, I, I don't know, really. I mean, like you, I want West Ham to do well. I want us to be as successful as we can be. And again, I'm talking in an ideal world now, but in an ideal world, it would be nice for the club to, whether it's the current case or in the future, be run by West Ham fans or at the very least, uh, a British-based consortium um, led by ex, ex-West Ham players as in an ambassadorial capacity, that's that's the kind of front of house of West Ham, if you like. That would be my ideal. Mm. But again, we don't live in an ideal world, do we? And money does talk. So again, time will tell on that. But it's always an interesting debate. And, uh, you know, I'd like to speak to, to Newcastle fans, actually, just to see genuinely what the majority is for them, because they've been a sleeping giant for years. And we think we've had it hard before, since winning the trophy. Fuck me. They've, I think they've gone longer than us. without yeah. So this is an absolute game changer for them. So it's probably a real case of head over heart in terms of where they stand on their takeover. Um, do you remember what, what that's ha- for them? Sorry, do you remember what that taxi driver said to us though when we were in Newcastle? I'm not sure you will because I think JD Qantas was in full swing, full swing at that point. <laughs> but, I don't remember being uh, in Newcastle. They're not a fucking taxi. <laughs> no, exactly. But we were in a taxi ride going into the town, and we were talking. We, we, I think we actually. Um, 
asked that exact question that you asked there. Like, how do you feel about the takeover? And the guy, the taxi driver, alluded to it being brilliant because he said not only have they invested so much into the football club that we're now you know, going to be challenging for, for everything pretty much, um, but he said that they've invested so much into the community that like they've, you know, they've redeveloped the training ground, they've made it much more accessible, they've redeveloped various other things amongst the city under the name of Newcastle United, but <clears throat> that aren't directly re- related to Newcastle United. So that taxi driver, I mean, albeit one person out of a whole city, but he was very, very positive about the impact they'd had. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Do you know what? I said I wasn't going to go down a political route with this, and, and I'm not. I'm just making what I think is an interesting point, and it raises an interesting question. I wonder if the owners of Newcastle would give a job to a backroom staff member or a player if they knew they were gay. Yeah. No, you, yeah. you ain't got the answer to that. I'm just raising no. um, a, 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 quite an interesting well, point, I think. I, look at, look at um, Man City. You know, their their owners are um, of a Muslim origin. Yeah. Um, like it's, uh, what country is it that owns Manchester City? It's um, Far East ownership. It definitely yeah, exactly. Is. Yeah, so, and then, you know, it's Etihad. So it's like UAE, isn't it? United Arab Emirates and stuff. Mm. Um, so they... Um, so when you think about that, they were going to sign Lucas Pakatar. He um, was, um, you know, disciplined for, or hasn't been disciplined, sorry, has been investigated, investigated for um, gambling. In that, like, whatever you call it, gambling allegations, shall we say, you know, gambling's prohi- prohibited in their country. Was that a factor in them not wanting him? I mean, obviously, the main factors is that he wouldn't be selected if if he found g- guilty and stuff. But um, in actual, um, if you look at it, could that could it be their morals and their ethics that also put them off 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 going through with that? So yeah, it's a question that you. I don't know the answer to, but it's something that may happen, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if they're going to make a stance against gamblers, I think they'd lose half their squad because gambling's so rife in football. I yeah. think it's out of their control, as it is for any football club, to be honest. And obviously, if you then start delving into the realms of match fixing, which obviously nothing's been proven yet, then um, then that takes a, a slightly different course. Mm. Um, X, it has been a brilliant start to the season. And it's a start we've achieved with some quite incredible stats, you know. So, so far, we have the lowest amount of possession in the Premier League. Our pressing numbers are in the bottom five of the league. The goalkeeper goes long 
89% of the time. But we rank first in the league for expected goals from counter-attacks, 0.49 per game. And whilst we've completed the least amount of passes in the league, 50% of those passes are forward. So we obviously have a successful game plan because we're winning games with that approach. We know it's not always going to be pretty, not always exciting, but we are winning and we're all happy with with the fact that we're winning. With that in mind, how important is it to win with the West Ham way? Is it still important or is the West Ham way, in inverted commas, a thing of the past? I think the West Ham way comes more into prominence. We, this show is going to be very controversial in people's opinions, by the way, because we've touched on a few topics here that people will be quite um, adamant about, I think. So just to bear in mind that to, to the listeners, we've deliberately chosen thought-provoking topics here. So you're that not makes some good listening, doesn't it? Exactly. Surely. And you're not going to agree with me or you on everything here. And obviously there'll be people that strongly disagree, but that's the hopefully the nature of the programme. But for me, I am... Um uh, it, the West Ham way becomes more of a thing when you're losing. I think, you know, if, if West Ham are winning by whatever method it is, whether it be the West Ham way or long ball or hit and hope or whatever he, you want to call it. If West Ham win, you go away happy. Of course, the ideal scenario is West Ham win 5-0 or 5-4. And it's been like an amazing game, end-to-end attacks with great goals, blah, blah, blah. That's the ideal scenario, but it isn't a realistic scenario. I don't think football on the whole is as exciting as it used to be because there's too much at stake. Uh, you know, you, when you look at the Arsenal side of the early 2000s, like the Invincibles, the way they used to play football was amazing. Manchester United in the late 90s you know the way they used to even Blackburn when they won the league in 95 it was exciting Newcastle when they almost won it it was exciting to watch I don't get that feeling for any clubs in the Premier League anymore now so I think this I think football has changed a lot so that it's all about keeping possession and so people look at possession stats and they're very transfixed upon them and they think oh look West Ham only got 25% of the ball that's not good enough but actually who cares if they pass it around their back for you know 500 times a game it's not going to win you a match is it so actually possession stats I think sometimes too much emphasis is put on them of course they are important to give a general context but when people are getting generally annoyed yet your team's winning that's 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 strange to me because the ultimate outcome and no matter how you get there is for your side to win and there are going to be times when you don't have possession against Luton I think we had 65% of the ball against Brighton or Chelsea, one of them we had 25, but we still got the same outcome, which is three points. So it doesn't matter so much then. The time is a problem is when you're losing because you can tolerate losing more if your team's gone for it. They've done a really good, um, some good goals, but they've, they've been unlucky or they've created some great chances. It's been really exciting and you've lost because you haven't got the points and you've come, but you've still come away with something. So I think the West Ham way comes into prominence more when we're unsuccessful successful so at the moment for me the West Ham way doesn't matter to me at the moment because we're sitting high in the league we just won a trophy things that I never thought I'd ever see at West Ham so for me yes ideally it would be amazing football but I'd much rather we've got the football we've got now but the results we've got now if we started playing sorry massive wheels just got off I don't know if you can I don't know if you can hear I don't know if you can hear that it sounds like it is to me but I can feel the vibrations in my body but there's no there's no way I can shut the actual patio doors they can suck in 
concerned. I mean, it's conservatory, so if it gets much worse, I'll have to. But uh, sorry about that. But um, yeah, I feel like I've got Fred West living next to me or something. But um, <laughs> just just to, just to throw another controversy to this show. But um, yeah, like, I I um, yeah I am. Um, I've been put off by that now. I am. Um, yeah, I think the West Ham way it is something. It is great to see good football, but it is something that is overemphasized at time. Yes, uh, I, I want it. Yes, I associate West Ham with good football, but I'd rather West Ham won than um, than didn't. Yeah, again, you make some interesting points, especially when it comes to, you know, it may be relating to when West Ham are seeing harder times. I mean, you look at the likes of Radichoy who's shopping at RV Nicks rather than turning up for West Ham or Boogers going AWOL. You know, that's the West Ham way, isn't it? Um, it is typical to, to pass that off in jest. I do think style of play is part of it. I think, you know, if you, if you go back to the exciting times with West Ham and, and you go through the decades, West Ham have always been famous for putting the ball on the floor and having a go and exciting the fans and, and giving 110% for that badge. So I do think that that is a very big part of the West Ham way. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, sorry to interrupt there. I think you're right. I think I've narrowed it down to the side of play where actually probably the West Ham way is bigger than that. You know, like you say, it's a, yeah. it's a, it's always a comical thing at times. Like yeah. when something wrong happens, West Ham way could also be, like you said, appreciating effort of certain players. That, that is a factor. It could also be that sort of, you know, West Ham way are West Ham fans of jovial kind of chaps, that sort of thing. So it yeah. could be more than I described, definitely. Yeah, and I know I know you get it. I know everyone listening to it, the show gets it. But it's also obviously about our history, our DNA, our terrorist culture. You know, for example, not that we have done this season, but losing to Luton at home and then going to beat Man United away. That's the West Ham way, for example. You know, yeah. so there's um, there's a lot of uh, different factors to it. Um, but I suppose again, isn't it? It's it's ideology versus reality. In an ideal world, we'd want to go out and smash every team every week, playing the most exciting football known to man. But at the end of the day, surely it is about winning. Um, I'd rather, I think, I'd rather win with this style of football um, than lose playing the West Ham way. To be honest, yeah. I think that's what it boils down to. Because if we lost every week playing exciting football, then we could potentially get relegated. But it's interesting, though, X, because that obviously has carried weight in recent years because. You know, when Sam Allardyce was booed off the pitch for winning a game at home against Hull. Um, did, did you agree with that? And and why does that not exist in this day and age? Um, I didn't agree with it, no. I felt that it was, it was wrong at the time. You know, at the end of the day, it wasn't a great performance, but we got the three points. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was harsh. People have been comparing sort of the treatment of, and I think it actually comes up in our questions, to be fair, um, of Moyes and, and this whole style of play thing, like, and, and whether it's actually unfair on him, um, because, it, you know, at the end of the day, he's set, kept us up and he's winning us trophies and we're near the top of the league. I don't, I genuinely don't look at many teams and think, wow, I love the way they play football. I, I, I really don't. I don't look at, you know, your Liverpools who are famed for having good football at times and your Newcastles and your Man United and sit there and think, wow, I'm so gutted that West Ham play the way they do because this football's amazing. I just think it's the way it is now. Even the changing of the rules that the goalkeeper can basically give it to the centre-back like in, the, like in their own area and stuff. That's enabled the passing to happen so regularly, whereas before the goalkeeper pretty much had to 
to boot it up the end of the pitch, which caused, you know, either the team to go almost directly on an attack or the other team to go directly on the attack by heading it back. Now it's such more about slow build-up and stuff that I think it is a bit of a... a a, a harsh thing to throw at David Moyes and there's been times where I've been at David Moyes games where it's been great where you know I've really enjoyed watching West Ham you know against Brighton alright we didn't have a huge amount of the ball against Chelsea the same but I loved those games because we we were scoring goals good goals and we won the game so you know I, I think sometimes West Ham fans have to be a bit careful of being um, you know too unappreciative you know when I first started going to West Ham no, we're taking, talking early 90s, the first season. We got promoted, lost out to Oldham on the last day of the season. That was the West Ham way because we were celebrating winning the league, which we didn't win. Um, the next season, we then finished rock bottom and had all the bond protests, which was awful. Then we got promoted again against Cambridge. Really good game against that. So against them, knocked around the sort of lower regions of the Premier League for a while and then stayed up. And then we had the Avran Grant season. You know, we got relegated. We had a couple of poor ones under you know the likes of Rhoda and Zola and stuff I, I think times at the moment at West Ham are so good you take the first question that you asked about the midfield at West Ham and have we got too many good players mm. geez like in the, in the past we're talking about who are the good players yeah. at West Ham so yeah. so like you know we have to actually appreciate where we are now as a club and it's much more advanced than we've ever been and watching West Ham is still enjoyable think of the game that we've had Seville away uh, Seville at home I mean Leon away like you know some of the games last year in Europe some of the games in the league it's not as bad as West Ham fans look and sometimes the people that are making those comments are the ones that are not going to the game and are just looking at the statistics afterwards that show mm. the percentages of possession and they make an assumption based on that yeah, no, I think you make some really good points and it's um, it's refreshingly positive, actually, the points that you've made. Um, on Saturday, we face Man City. Can we cause an upset? Um, I think we have a good chance to, definitely. I think we've got to um, not show them total respect, which is what we always do against the, the big clubs. That's something I would change about, about Moyes. I think we need to go at them um, and go at them early on rather than sit back, because if you sit back, they'll beat you. So we've got to we've got to try and um, and play good football against them. But I, I think we have a chance. You know, if I wouldn't put money on West Ham winning, that's for sure. But... If West Ham was to win, I wouldn't be shocked by it because, you know, Man City are obviously the best team in the league, probably the best team in the world. Um, but if you can come, there's, they've been beaten before. They've been beaten by lesser teams than what we've got. We are on form at the moment. You know, it could, it could be a chance to me. As long as you keep Harlan relatively quiet, then you've got a chance. And I think, I think we, I think we might surprise a few people. I, if he was to ask me to predict a result, the, I'm torn between my heart and my head. My head says that we will lose it, but my heart says that I think we'll actually play well and could get something out of it. Yeah. Well, I, I think we're a very difficult game for Man City. Because they're a possession-based team, I think it actually suits us to not have the ball because mm. of our style of play. Yeah. And if we can just get that counter-attack right and the, the, the quality that we've got, it only takes that little bit of quality from Lucas or a delivery from Prousey or or Bowen to be on fire, for example, uh, and Antonio to be clinical. 
You never know. I mean, I, I, it, it's it's lovely at the moment because you do feel like you can beat anyone. Now I know mm-hmm. the style of play isn't everyone's cup of tea, but at the moment, Moisey is making it work, and I think I think we're a tough game for him. I do. I, I... I do worry about Haaland. I do worry about the players they've got in the final third. Do I think they might have a little bit too much for us? If I'm honest, I think they probably will. But I wouldn't be absolutely shocked falling off my chair if we did get something. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. Yeah, definitely. It's, a, it's going to be an exciting game. You know, like I said, a football for me isn't as exciting as it used to be in terms of constant attacking. But I think this game will be an exciting one because they'll they'll have all the ball, but we'll hit them on the counter attack. And I don't care if West Ham have one percent of the ball. I'm not even sure if that's actually mathematically <laughs> possible. But let's, for the sake of the <laughs> argument, we have one percent of the ball, but we win one nil. I couldn't give a shit. I honestly no, couldn't. No. And if I see people go, oh yeah, but we got battered but we won't we got battered by Man City and we've won one nil. I'm not even gonna entertain acknowledging yeah. that opinion because no, you take been, that, yeah. Yeah, you take that you're beating the best team in the world. Um mm. which is proven because they won the Champions League last year. Um and basically yeah, and you assume that European teams are the best teams in the world. So that was that was that would be a great result against Manchester City and you know we then play um Liverpool the week after and I think that'll be a real good indication as to where we are now. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before the City game, we have the West Ham Way pre-match event with Dean Ashton, hosted by Mad Dog. And as always, it's going to be a cracking way to start the day. But this event comes with a twist. After some fantastic memories made, it's going to be the last one we do at O'Neill's in Leytonstone. We are moving into a really exciting new era for the West Ham Way. And here's a familiar voice to explain why. Calling all West Ham fans. Situated just outside Acneywick train station, and less than a 10 minute walk from the stadium is a blinding venue called the Colour Factory that is now officially the home of the West Ham Way pre-match event. The Colour Factory hosted close to a thousand West Ham fans for the Europa Conference League final, and special memories were made that night. Now, it's time to make some more as Dave and X invite you to a fantastic space with top-of-the-range technology, comfortable seating, cracking music, a generous raffle, a brilliant atmosphere, tasty food, and a live interactive Q&A with ex-players hosted by Mad Dog Martin Allen, who bites your bollocks. At a fair and affordable price, you can pay for entry only, or have the option of going VIP to include unlimited beer, wine and soft drinks. If you want to get your match day off to the best possible start, then there's only one way. And that's the West Ham way. Small disclaimer, Mad Dog isn't actually going to be biting anyone's bollocks. Just want to throw that out there in case there was a niggling doubt in anyone's mind as to whether it come <laughs> along or not. Um, but X, exciting times, me old mate. Of course, man, this is unbelievable. Good news for us because I think whilst our events have always been amazing, you know, the Working Man's Club where we started off had that whole nostalgia at still being at Upton Park and obviously people still wanted to come because they wanted to keep that memory alive. That was taken out of our hands. We used to put 
coaches on to get people to the stadium and, and, and so on. O'Neill's has been a great venue. You know, we've had some great memories there. The setup, the, the sound system, the, the venue itself is brilliant for what we needed. The only problem with O'Neill's is that it's two train stops away from Stratford and you've got to go out of your way to go to O'Neill's to go to the event. Well, now, with it being at Hackney Wick, literally next door to Hackney Wick Station, I mean, when we say next door, it is next door. Like, if you could walk through walls, like sort of Harry Potter style, you would literally walk out the station through the wall into our venue. Um, so it's, <laughs> I love that analogy. <laughs> it's, don't tell Martin I use that analogy. You always text me. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, um, um, so, so, yeah, it's literally perfect. It's bigger, so we can get more people in. Um, it's got a VIP bit, which will offer a new sort of exciting twist to it. Um, it's got a, a bigger stage. It's got more range of drinks. Um, it's got, um, you know, as I said, walking distance to the stadium so people can stay a bit later if they wish to. Um, it has facilities to show games on the screens. You can probably go back there afterwards as well if you if you wanted to. Um, and, and also we can use it for games, midweek games and stuff that we perhaps hadn't done before. So I think it's really, really, really exciting. We've got a, a new host who... <clears throat> it's very popular from the previous events that we've done. Um, a new venue. Um, we're in partnership with a new person um, who many of you may know um, called Frankie, who did a lot of the... Um, uh, he, a lot of people went to his... Um, Called what, like the, the actual match, watch the game, the uh, fan zone for the final and the semi final. Mm. Um, lots of people watched that with him and loved his events. So, um, it's uh, it's exciting partnership to be with him, and I just think it's going to be brilliant, mate. Like, I don't, I don't see how anyone cannot see that, and it offers the best value and the best facilities and the best options before any uh, uh, any venue close to the stadium now. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing many of you at it. Yeah, it's so exciting. So exciting. Brilliant location, brilliant layout, brilliant technology, brilliant price point, I think, mm. in my opinion, which we're on the verge of confirming. And the first event at this new venue will be Saturday, the 30th of September, just before the Sheffield United game. The guest is yet to be confirmed, but I'm sure it'll be another cracker up on stage with Mad Dog. So it'd be great if you guys can come on a journey with us. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, as we've said, Premier League football returns this Saturday. So let's find out a little bit more about our opponents. The club was founded in 1880 as St Mark's, then Ardwick's Association FC in 1887 before changing to Manchester City in 1894. Manchester City had the nickname The Citizens, which is simply an adaptation of their city name. However, it does imply that Manchester City fans are the real citizens of Manchester, which is a bit of a pop at United. They're also known as the Sky Blues. The club's anthem is Blue Moon, which was adopted during a difficult time for the club when they would only win once in a blue moon. The sun has stuck ever since. Since its inception, the club has won eight league titles, six FA Cups, eight League Cups, six FA Community Shields and one European Cup Winners' Cup. Manchester City hold the record for the highest home attendance by an English club. City packed 84,569 fans in the main road for their game against Stoke City in 1934. In 1938, City became the only club to ever be relegated in England with a positive goal difference as they ended the campaign with 80 goals scored and 77 conceded. The idea of a red and black away strip was introduced by Malcolm Allison in the 60s who was inspired by AC Milan. Famous fans include Liam and Noel Gallagher, Ricky Hatton, Alan Carr, Lee Dixon and Rick Wakeman. Calling all West Ham fans. Are you a patron of the West Ham way? If not, why not? 
For the price of a pint, you get top quality content on a daily basis to include the famous West Ham Way podcast with Dave and X, over a hundred interviews with ex-players and celebrity fans, Mad Dog Bites with Martin Allen, a show with Tony Cotty, the U Irons podcast, the West Ham Way USA, a transfer window show with Demis Chef, an expert pre-match analysis. There are virtual events with ex-players, written articles, match day discussion, away day burger reviews, in-depth match reports, and if you want to be the first to get reliable, accurate, exclusive news on all club affairs, you'll get exactly that from the best ITK in the business, ex-West Ham United employee. All that and more delivered to your phone for a fiver a month. It's the daddy. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.